0: Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
1: It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in the shallow end with Schneebly and Toth.
0: It's The Shallow End with Schnebley and Toth, episode number 66. J.G., you look to be in fine
1: form today. I, I feel like I'm in fine form. Um, my form up until now has been rather coarse. I had to have it ground down a bit, but uh, now now my form is is very fine. Was, I yeah.
0: wouldn't have said coarse. I would have said you, you looked medium. Granular. But now it's fine. Yeah. Dare I say you're bordering on extra fine. Well, thank you. That's yeah. very kind
1: of you to say. Yeah,
0: I think uh, I think Ecuador agrees with you.
1: It's a very, uh, a very pleasant place to have one's abode, for sure. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's taken a lot of getting used to. We talked about this on um, Box, the most recent episode of Box. Cat put up a hummingbird feeder, and it attracted Africanized killer bees. <laughs> I'm not I'm not kidding How do you say Never mind In Espanol <laughs> Fortunately My screaming Is universal In all languages
0: Good 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 yeah. So nobody hurt <laughs> I don't know If you remember uh, I, I think uh, I don't know How many months ago It was We got a very <laughs> Snarky review On iTunes From a, a Subscriber Or, or a, a Listener Who's uh, name on iTunes was "Pierced 1692," ah. and he said, "I think I think it was he said uh, shallow end with Schnable and Toth, mediocrity at its
1: best." <laughs> Remember that? I do, but now we're extra fine.
0: Yeah. See, uh, mm-hmm. so uh, a listener named Johnny said, first of all, I love your guys' podcast, but when you mentioned the review from Pierce 1692, mediocrity at its best, I immediately thought." Well, then, maybe they could rename the podcast The Box of Mediocrities. <laughs> <laughs> and I lost it, laughing at my own joke, which probably says a lot more about me than I should share, but I had a good laugh. Anyway, you guys are one of my favorite parts of the week. Stay the course. Love the show. Johnny.
1: Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, Johnny. <laughs>
0: we'll give you the email address again in the middle, but it's lifeguard at com.
1: We always love hearing from you. Indeed. Um, Are you I gotta, first this week? Yeah, I've I called this episode Living Next Door to Karen. Well, hit me with your best Karen. In a breathtaking tropical paradise, a couple found themselves neck deep in conflicts with an entitled neighbor that we'll name Karen. Great name. The dream setting consisted of a duplex that was divided asymmetrically on one side, the spacious five-bedroom, three-bath unit, with uh, most of the backyard and a sizable 150-foot dock because they Mm -hmm. were on on the water. Now, Karen on the other side occupied a two-bedroom unit complete with a modest backyard and a mere 15-foot stretch of dock. Now, historically, a shared backyard has been a peaceful communal space for all tenants. However, upon the couple's arrival, Karen took it upon herself to assume that she was entitled to shared privileges. Not only did she think the entire backyard was her domain, but she also expected to maintain the right indefinitely. Wow. Uh, Quote, she seemed to believe our backyard was some sort of communal space, even after we had moved in. Now, there were a series of confrontations. The most significant one came unannounced. One serene afternoon, Uh, The couple was enjoying a tranquil moment out out of doors uh, in their backyard when a large delivery truck rumbled in, carrying a a colossal blow-up castle. (laughs) (laughs) Now, understandably, they were a bit baffled, Uh, so they approached Karen only to be informed that it was for her child's birthday. Astonishingly, Karen had clarified that the event was for family and friends only Uh, and so even though they were setting up this bouncy castle on uh, the uh, people's property in their
0: backyard yeah you can't come get out of your own backyard I'm setting up a bounce house for a party
1: but the drama of the day had only just begun in in the middle of the festivities One guy that was there, and I guess he'd had a few too many, and he wandered into the couple's home mistakenly assuming that it was Karen's domain, so he just wandered into their bathroom and uh, calmly peed. I guess that's better than nervously peeing. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've said that. Sure. So the homeowners pointed out the error to uh, Karen, and they didn't really expect the reaction they got. Karen went ballistic. She stormed into their home, her face mixed with, well, a little bit of embarrassment, I think, but mostly anger. She accused the couple of intentionally sabotaging her party. She, <laughs> she shouted at them in their house, quote, "'How dare you make me look bad in front of my friends? Why couldn't you just spare one bathroom for one of my guests?' Entitlement is strong oh, in this one. Hubris. My God. So the couple, understandably, taken aback. I would have been shocked. Yeah. But they held their ground. The homeowner recalled, quote, we were simply stating facts. Yet she took it as a personal affront. We had to remind her that boundaries were essential even in shared living spaces. She said, we didn't deserve to have all of this space to just us. Even though, of course, they paid more rent than she did. Of course, yeah. The homeowner or the uh, renter went on to say, I told Karen to get the hell out of my house or I'd be calling the cops. And she finally left and the party wrapped up shortly after. The bouncy castle stayed up for a day or two, but the party wrapped up.
0: Did the guy finish peeing in their uh, bathroom?
1: I'm not sure if he finished peeing in the bathroom or the kitchen. Uh, <laughs> he he was he was quite inebriated by, yeah, by yeah. all okay. of the facts that I'm seeing here. As it seemed, the divide grew more expansive with every passing interaction. And there seemed to be something every day. The tranquility of this quiet neighborhood, well, it had been anyway, was consistently now marred by petty conflicts and this ongoing battle for space and respect. What started out as a slight misunderstanding soon ballooned into an issue that uh, turned into a neighborhood rivalry. Turned into a civil war. Maybe not so civil. Mm-hmm. So, so these guys, this couple, they were exasperated with the constant encroachments and feeling that their politeness was being taken advantage of, they decided to take definitive action. They, uh, they put up a fence. They hoped oh, a, a fence that, would serve as a clear boundary between their yards. That was a yard. nervy
0: thing to do. <laughs> put up a fence to mark the distinctive line between your two yards? Yep. Who
1: the hell do they think they are? So the first fence posts were being driven into the ground in what would be the initial outline of the fence, and it became visible. A shrill outcry cut through the balmy tropical air. Uh, (laughs) Seeing the fence's construction as a direct insult, Karen rushed out of her house. Her face was red with anger. Witnesses say she started yelling and almost immediately demanding the construction be halted. The neighbor said she absolutely looked livid, gesticulating wildly and trying to shoo the workers away as if they were trespassing on her property. But now it becomes even more baffling. Instead of trying to negotiate or reason with people, Karen, in her heightened state of fury, pulled out her phone and dialed 911. There you go. (laughs) As sirens wailed in the distance and police cars (laughs) pulled up, The couple braced themselves for a prolonged uh, confrontation, yet what ensued was surprisingly brief and amusing for all, except for for Karen. The the cops, after listening to her impassioned tirade and then counterchecking with the homeowners and the property documents that were provided, the, the officers quickly determined that uh, the couple was well within their rights and uh, told Karen to stop calling 911 unless it was an emergency.
0: That seems like such a fair request. Like you really shouldn't have to explain how that works to people, right?
1: <laughs> well, one would assume. Now comes Act 2, her boyfriend, who we'll oh. call Billy Bob. There we go. With the fence standing tall, the couple might have believed that they'd seen the end of their troubles, but little did they know that Billy Bob, Karen's equally uh, disrespectful boyfriend, was was now going to get involved. He was a man of imposing stature with a penchant for causing mischief, and he wasted no time by making his presence felt. For starters, he would just throw his cigarette butts over the fence. Very nice. And then empty beer cans, and other assorted debris, old tires, and pretty soon he was just emptying his garbage pail over the uh, over the fence. Oh my, my God! <sighs> but the garbage was just the overture. Billy Bob's most daring act involved the couple's dock space. Now they didn't have a boat, so they had rented the dock space to another neighbor. So Billy Bob, along with Karen, went over to the third neighbor's house, masquerading as the rightful couple, and told them that their lease would not be uh, honored and to get the boat out of there. And then Billy Bob put his 30-foot fishing boat at the dock instead. Now, it actually may have gone unnoticed if it hadn't been for uh, a nasty comment online about the couple reneging on their uh, agreement to lease the dock. Pretty soon they understood what was going on. They took legal action. The court hearing that took place was brief, but decisive. They had all of the necessary paperwork to prove it, and uh, they were able to uh, win the property dispute. Good. But the couple's challenges were not merely financial or logistical. They were also emotional. Um, They were thinking maybe this would be the end of it. But no. 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 Why are we not surprised? garbage still showed up in their yard, and they were still being taunted by their neighbors, and I'm going to finish this story in the uh, renter's own words from her uh, Reddit post. This is how it ends. Quote, So with the collapsing real estate market, we were trying to figure out what to do with our savings when a perfect opportunity opened up. The landlord who owned these properties was in desperate need of cash and was tired of managing the property from 2,000 miles away because, of course, Karen is Karen and called him weekly for every little thing. I can only imagine. Since we just have money, we were trying to reinvest, and because now we could get control of our neighbors, we thought, heck yeah, we jumped on it. We didn't need a realtor or a mortgage or an inspection because one had just been done a few years ago when the landlord refinanced, so we bought the house and closed under two weeks. Karen was aware of a change of ownership, but as we registered the property under an LLC, she didn't know who until Eight days ago (laughs) this is delicious I went over to Karen's house and knocked on the door Karen answered with a stern what do you want I smiled and handed her our landlord information and sweetly reminded her rent was due on Friday but she could just hand the check over now if it was easier I've always heard descriptions of people's faces turning white, but this was the first time I actually saw it. I told Karen we were honoring her lease until the end of July, but afterwards she had better make plans to move. Because we intend to remodel it before the next tenants move in. Bye, bitch. <laughs> end of quote. And <clears throat> and so in, in the heart of this tropical paradise where one might expect serene sunsets and tranquil waves. There thrived a sitcom-worthy neighborly feud, but as the dust did settle, the couple realized that they had unwittingly become the proud owners of not just a home, but also well, an anthology of outrageous tales that they would they would recount for years. And uh, that's certainly a good one.
0: Story Poor Karen
1: comes. <laughs> Karen, Karen, oh, Karen, and Billy Bob. What what what's to become of him?
0: I'm impressed with Billy Bob uh, having a 30-foot boat. Yeah, he must have stolen it.
1: Probably stolen. Yeah. yeah. This story comes from a, uh, an, alleged true, an alleged true account posted in January of 2019 on Reddit by unique username 504. Yeah. <laughs> and it was then picked up and uh, posted on Ranker.com. Nice.
0: THE BIBLE MAKES IT CLEAR THAT JESUS WANTS US TO BE ARMED. IN THE GOSPEL OF LUKE, CHAPTER 22, VERSE 36, JESUS SAYS, IF YOU DON'T HAVE A SWORD, SELL YOUR CLOAK AND BUY ONE. THAT'S GOOD ENOUGH FOR US. WE'RE CHRIST IS KING GUNS AND AMMO, THE CHRISTIAN-OWNED STORE FOR ALL YOUR SELF-DEFENSE NEEDS. We've got every make and model handgun and rifle you can dream of and more bullets than Satan has evil lies. Come see our recreation of Da Vinci's The Last Supper with Jesus and his apostles all wearing guns on their hips. Christ is King Guns and Ammo just off Interstate 4 in Orlando. Look out, Lucifer. This Christian is packing heat. The email address is lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. I neglected to mention, J.G., when I was recording back in uh, Stillwater, Minnesota, that we had gotten an email from a listener named Zach who said, and actually, I think, I think this guy has already done, had already done this for, for you. He put together a spreadsheet...
1: With, yeah, Zach. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well he God bless Zach. He not only updated the, the Box of Oddities <laughs> spreadsheet, but he created a second spreadsheet with shallow end topics. <laughs> bless your heart, Zach. Zach, dude, you get it done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I have so referred cool.
1: to uh Zach's spreadsheet many times, um just cross-referencing whether or not we've done this topic or that because well you know 570 some odd episodes of box of oddities a little hard to keep track of and now shallow ends getting up there too
0: which is perfect i I just love the fact that that there are listeners (laughs) subscribers who know us well enough to think yeah they probably need help keeping track of what they've talked about (laughs) i i need that in everyday life amen amen lifeguard at com. we have a listener named Montana I think this is the first email we've ever gotten uh, from someone named Montana I know people give me a lot of grief for being obsessed with names but I mean, (laughs) come on how cool a first name is that
1: that's a pretty cool first name much better than Massachusetts yeah yeah or California not not that anything there's anything wrong with your name if your name is Massachusetts it's just no you're not as good as Montana
0: don't want to anger all the Massachusetts listeners out there. Montana writes, howdy-do, J.G. and Lindsay. I've got a quick little nugget of a tale for you from the annals of my family's book of shallow end moments. Please note that names have been changed to protect the innocent. Okay, I realize there are none. Back when I was a teen, I'm sorry, tween, my mother, my sister, and I were gathered around in the living room, engaged in some activity or another, when suddenly the oldest of my two brothers, Tyler, who's only a year or so younger than me, comes bursting into the room quite visibly put out. Having thoroughly disrupted the tranquility of the room, Mom inquired as to what was bothering Tyler so much. He took a moment to regain his composure, and being the very serious, no-nonsense young man that he was, presented to Mom his very justified angst with the following account. Tyler. Mom, Scott, the youngest sibling by a decade, used a bad word and called me a dirty name. Mom, oh, what name did he call you? Tyler, I don't want to say it because it isn't very nice. Mom, saying with reassurance, reassurance, that's okay, kiddo. You won't get in trouble for repeating it, but I need to know what was said. Tyler, he called me, you know, leans closer and says in a hushed voice, the E word, and then steps back and gasps at his own daring. Now, my family is dense with factory workers and military veterans. Even though it's generally discouraged within the household to use foul language, profanity is basically our native tongue. So even (laughs) at a tender young age, my list of off-colored vocabulary was fairly extensive. Having explained this, all other parties present in the room sat there for a moment, each of us silently sorting through our collective Rolodex of swear words, trying to (laughs) suss out which one started with the letter E. (laughs) (laughs) And after a unified round of confused looks, the inquiry resumed. Mom, the E-word? I'm not familiar with any E-word. Tyler blurts out in frustration, "Ah, You know, idiot? To which the entire household... (laughs) To which the entire household erupts into laughter, Scott included. Being the supportive and compassionate sibling that I am, I asked, And? Tyler tucked his wounded pride and stormed out of the house for a sit in the backyard. It took some time, but we all got our giggles under control and went to mend things with Tyler. But to this day, the E-word can still be heard, whispered in hushed voices and behind cupped hands so as to lessen the risk of agitating tender spots. Anyway, hope you all enjoyed the dip as much as I enjoy y'all's weekly banner. Thank you for the giggles and grins. All the best. Monty from Texas. I guess Montana goes by Monty. You know it. Monty if, if I had a name as cool as Montana I would not I would not go by Monty I no, would go by no. Montana. Right. I'd say my name's Montana damn it and that's what you're going to call me. So uh, I'm going to adopt that. I'm going to I'm going to refer to people now as the e-word if they cut me off in traffic. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think it's much safer. Yeah. Uh, especially you, in California where they shoot you for confronting you uh, each other. The e-word.
0: You're driving like an E-word, you know that. Look at that big E-word over there. Ugh,
1: You're such an E-word. Don't be an E-word about this. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. What do you
0: get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze?
1: (laughs) You get the goofiest game in history, Queen's Podcast.
0: Hi, I'm Nathan. Deserving of their time in the spotlight.
1: Right. So come get to know these queens. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers. You're in the shallow end with Schnepley and Toss.
0: My story, JG, is from a, a listener uh, who goes by the name of Rebel. I mean, are, are we swimming in cool names today or what? Hey guys, just started the podcast and love it. Just listen to Shallow End number 18, where Jethro navigates a 38-foot RV through New York City <laughs> and had to drive under an overpass and cleared it by maybe three feet.
1: No, I cleared it by maybe three inches. It Th- was... I'm sorry, he says three inches. Three Yeah, inches. yeah it, was, my bad. it was dangerously close. And, of course, my instinct was, well, I should speed up, you know. That's, I think,
0: what 99% of most males behind the wheel <laughs> Maybe do. the bridge won't notice me. Yeah, if I if I just go <laughs> fast enough, the laws of physics will no longer apply, and I'll magically yeah. glide under. Mm. Well, that led Rebel to send this story about that very phenomenon of semi trucks or trucks or RVs or any large vehicle passing underneath um, overpasses. Now, every time I've been on a highway and I see that happen, and I always wonder. For example, if I were sitting on top of like laying flat on top of a tractor trailer uh, trailer, you know, with with my head to the side, would I would I be small enough to pass underneath without getting squished like a like a bug?
1: These are these are the kind of things that go through my mind on really long car rides, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I frequently have
0: to make the godforsaken drive from California to Southern Arizona, and you know that that is a mind-numbing eight-hour slog. <laughs> mm-hmm. And somewhere around Buckeye, Arizona, I start to think, I wonder if I could survive passing underneath that, underneath that <laughs> over overbridge overhang. Mm. Anyway, it always surprises me how frequently they barely clear it, but they do. Now this story is a bit different as far as shallow end moments go, and it took me a second to realize why, and then it and then it hit me. Most of the stories that you and I tell are about a single person, sometimes maybe two or three, who make really bad decisions. Mm-hmm. This one is different because this one is about. One hundred and seventy-eight different people, all of whom made the exact (laughs) same shallow end decision. A hundred and seventy-eight people! Okay. Think about this. This is even after a city tried to make it harder to make that same mistake. This takes place outside downtown Durham, North Carolina. And it's a well-known bridge. It was actually built back in 1940. It's called the Gregson Street Bridge. And it's located, like this matters, uh, at Peabody Street. And what it does is it lift, lifts train tracks over the roadway. Now, in researching this story, I learned that the federal government actually recommends that bridges on public roads should have a clearance of at least 14 feet and I never knew that hmm. but when this railroad trestle was built in 1940 there were no standards for minimum clearance and they built this this overpass this bridge to be only 11 feet Eight inches.
1: Oh, my God. My RV would not have made it. No, it wouldn't have. That. No. It
0: wouldn't have. And more about that in a second. But trucks so often have crashed into this bridge that even though its official name is the Gregson Street Bridge, it has gotten some nicknames like the 11 foot 8 bridge, also called can opener bridge. <laughs> <laughs> or the Gregson Street guillotine. I wow. love that one. That's now great. for for years, trucks that have been damaged trying to clear that bridge have ignored warning signs. and it's just continued to gain more and more notoriety due to the lowest low clearance. And th- these these overheight trucks just continue one after another to slam into, the top of that of that bridge because the drivers ignored all the flashings and and other warnings that the city set up to say to people well in advance hey you're approaching a bridge that you're not mm-hmm. going to fit you need to you need to make a, a right or left turn here well there's a guy named uh Jurgen Hen he's a he's a resident of Durham and his office was across the street from this from this bridge. <laughs> and he actually witnessed crash after crash after crash, and even set up a camera. This is back in April of 2008. He set up a video camera to begin recording all of these crashes. And he set up a, a website called Eleven Foot Eight dot com and on this channel you can actually see videos uh one after the other of all the crashes that have occurred now keep in mind uh, these crashes occurred way before 2008 that's only when he set up the camera right right it just continued to happen over and over and over again now more than one person said well what if we just raise the damn thing <laughs> right i mean isn't that isn't that mm-hmm. just the logical logical way to solve this but people in charge because you have you have a railroad north carolina railroad that that has a say in this you've got the state because there's a state highway ad- adjacent to this you've got the city because the street is, is the responsibility of the city. Mm-hmm. The railroad said, well, we can't raise it because that would mean raising the tracks in both directions for miles to adjust for that incline. And the North Carolina Railroad said, we don't want to pay for that. So they said to the city, well, let's just dig down deeper mm-hmm. into the street But the city said, well, you can't lower that because there is this major sewer line that runs only four feet under the street, so we can't really dig down. So they very wisely came up with a compromise, which was this alert system that would detect what an overheight truck was headed toward the bridge. Now, about a block or two before you got to the bridge, they had these cameras and sensors that could tell if a, if a truck that was too tall was coming toward the bridge. And okay. it would flash lights and giant signs saying, you know, stop, make a right turn, you don't want to do this. But drivers either didn't pay attention or they just didn't take it seriously and they would crash into, <laughs> into the bridge. <laughs> So the railroad, who actually owns the bridge, ended up installing this huge heavy steel crash beam in front of the bridge. And the idea was, well, this beam is going to take the brunt of the impact and it's going to protect the actual, you know, structural integrity
1: of the the train trestle. But that was going to be one of my questions, Linz. If this bridge had been hit... 178 times that we know of. Right. And is still standing. That they they knew how to make a bridge back in the 1940s.
0: Boy, I'll say everything everything was built, you know, that was probably American steel.
1: <laughs> oh yes. But
0: yeah, this wartime. beam that they that they put in was actually hit so often that it had to re- be replaced at least once. So as wow. far as both parties were concerned, that being the city of Durham and the state of North Carolina and the North Carolina Railroad they felt like all right we we have we've taken adequate steps to solve the problem but clearly you know that that wasn't true so their solution was the beam the city had posted these low clearance signs that were actually started 3 blocks before you got there so ample time for warning But it kept happening over and over again. So finally, in October of 2019, about damn time, they made the decision to raise the 11-foot-8 bridge 8 inches to a new clearance of 12 feet 4 inches. Now, this is, needless to say, a huge, huge job. And in fact, just here's a, this, is, this is a brief outline of what they went through just to raise this bridge. On October 23rd of 2019, they close all street traffic on Gregson Street at the bridge, and they start hauling in equipment. It takes four days for them to remove all the old obsolete parts of the bridge and prepare this structure for raising, also installing a new crash beam on top of uh, four two inch shims. They drop additional truckloads of ballast along the tracks. On October 29th, they close the train tracks and they install, get this, 12 55 ton jacks under the bridge. Ooh. 12. 55-ton jacks, and they raise this bridge by 8 inches. And then on October, starting October 30th, they, uh, they start painting. They paint for six days. That's November 4th. Another contractor crew comes in, covers the entire structure in heavy tarps. They sandblast. They thoroughly clean the structure. They end up painting the bridge, and on November fifth, twenty nineteen, at ten a.m., Gregson Street is reopened for traffic under the bridge, and that worked for three weeks. Oh no! <laughs> and then, just three oh. weeks later, another truck hits the crash <laughs> hits the crash beam.
1: <laughs> no.
0: Now, in fairness, things did improve slightly because there were fewer crashers than before it was lifted. But just in fact, uh, this year alone, the second crash of this year at the 11 foot 8 bridge, which is now 12 foot 4, was on July 6th. A box truck driver ignores the warning signs and hits the crash <laughs> beam of can opener bridge <laughs> and that was the 178th crash since 2008 now since that was July 6th and we're in we're comfortably in September it wouldn't surprise me if if a third crash has has since happened or but it tur- it turned this this whole thing actually into a cottage industry you remember i mentioned this guy who had his camera across the across the street. Yes. What he ended up do- doing was, you know, he would hear this crash and it would send this field of debris all over the road. Well, he would run out and he would start picking up this debris. And it was it was something that he called crash art. And he put it on the website up for sale, and this stuff would sell out. Wow. If you can believe it. Now, he ended up moving his offices, so the debris was no longer being collected and for sale. And if you go to that website, you can click on purchase, and it says, sadly, you're... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Jurgen's office is no longer across the street from the can opener. He is no longer able to dash out and grab the still warm pieces of crash art from the road. <laughs> All we have are the remaining vintage pieces from his old office and the rare new arrivals that escape the crash cleanup. For better or worse, it's not like the old days. We apologize if you're visiting this webpage when there are no pieces for sale. Aww. Crash art. I love that. Yeah, can opener bridge. Got this from YouTube, Wikipedia, and the site, 11foot8.com. Check out the site. It's the number 11, F O O T, and then the number 8, 11foot8.com.
1: What an amazing story. Um, but to 178 me, it
0: seems like people making the same stupid decision. That's
1: a first on the shallow end. Yeah, that's crazy. It seems to me like the most obvious. Uh, solution was overlooked so they think we'll put a crash beam up and they make it out of reinforced steel um they should have made it out of one of those giant Acme rubber bands <laughs> there you
0: go very very wily coyote just a big yeah. Boing, 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 back boing, boing. yeah makes I'm sense for to it. me <laughs> I love that idea so our thanks to rebel for sending that uh that in and uh again lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com we look forward to getting your emails your stories your story suggestions your own shallow end moments where you take a dip in the pool we always love to hear from that Um, we have teased this before but we now actually have a date in October and I'm going to wait one more week before we release the date because I want to make sure it's really going to happen but uh, next week J.G. and I are going to reveal the name and the uh, the deets, as the kids say, behind the third podcast joining the Box of Oddities family of fine podcast entertainment.
1: We're excited about this one. Um, Unlike uh, The Box of Oddities and The Shallow End, uh, this one will probably do pretty well. This one's
0: actually professionally
1: done and, <laughs> and
0: very entertaining. Uh, we'll let you I, know. Think it's, I think it's the, the uh, you know, three is a magic number. Yeah, the, that's what they the say. The third try is always the, is always the best. hmm mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what they say. With any luck, um, you and I can retire next year when this third podcast just skyrockets. And <laughs> Well, that's the plan, my friend. <laughs> Nancy and I will move to Cuenca and uh, buy, uh, buy something on a beach. Yeah, I just picture... don't,
1: don't put any hummingbird feeders
0: out. No, <laughs> no hummingbird <laughs> feeders. <laughs> I can only imagine what uh, what africanized bees would do to my little drink with the umbrella in it. Oh, and just
1: destroy it.
0: I don't think it's I don't think it would be pretty. <laughs> we Thanks appreciate you listening out. as always
1: yeah thanks for hanging out with us and we will uh we will see you next time in the meantime don't forget to continue to make good choices your life may depend on it so concludes another episode of the shallow end with schnebley and toff we thank you for listening oh be a dear would you please subscribe to this podcast give these boys a five-star rating and think of something nice to say even if And visit us online at ShallowEndPodcast.com. Okay, gotta go. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here.
0: And I'm Gabby.
1: And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further, and join me, Katie Charles, with your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and, of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.